What is it like to spend a day at a Greek Orthodox monastery? The Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts has sent teams to the island of Patmos to uh, examine and photograph Greek New Testament manuscripts. Patmos is one of the Dodecanese islands. This is just off the coast of Turkey. This is the island where John wrote the Book of Revelation, also known as the Apocalypse, in the last decade of the first century AD. Patmos is a very small island with a summertime population swelling to 3,000 inhabitants. Every day in the summer, cruise ships come to the port of Scala and they uh, dock there while visitors get on buses and they uh, travel up the few kilometers up the mountain to see the monastery. The monastery of St. John the Apostle was built in AD 1088. It's an imposing fortress with walls that are thick and tall. By paying heavy fees to the Turks during the Turkish occupation of Greece, the Patmians escaped war and devastation. We spend weeks on Patmos when we go. It's one of the friendliest places we know. So what does a day at the monastery look like? First, the four of us shoehorn ourselves into one of Patmos's SUVs, a tiny car with a 1.3 liter engine. We drive from the harbor up a serpentine mountain road, which comes to an end several kilometers later, just below the monastery. We then walk up to the monastery a little after 9 a.m. It's a steep hike and over 400 yards long. We all dress in black, black shoes, black socks, black pants, and black long sleeve shirts. We even bring our gear in black backpacks. We do the all black thing to honor the monks since they are dressed in black head to toe. As we enter the courtyard, we receive stares from dozens of pairs of eyes belonging to faces from all over the world, many wondering if we are priests. On one occasion, we corrected some folks from an internationally known institution who were pontificating to themselves that we must be priests from a different sect. They spoke while we were only a few feet away, not realizing that we understood every word they were saying. We made the gentle correction. After a few minutes, the assistant librarian, a delightful young man named Giannis, shows up. He unlocks the door to the library and beckons us to follow him. Like so many trails within the monastery complex, the route to the library is anything but a straight path. We have to bow down to squeeze into the doorway, one person at a time, going down into the bowels of the earth as we travel. On the wall in the corridor, we read a sign inscribed in stone, Psychis Yatraya, Healing for the Soul. What a marvelous description of a library filled with the wisdom of the ancients. Giannis unlocks another door, and we are inside. We enter the subterranean library to do our work. There we will be from 9.30 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon. We walk past the dark wooden shelves filled with old leather-bound books and enter an alcove that Giannis has set up for us to do our job. The electricity is not particularly reliable on Potmos, and it's very easy to trip the circuits. We cannot plug all of our computers and cameras into sockets, so we must bring batteries to back up at least one of the cameras. But after breaking the circuits multiple times for minor infractions, we finally realize that we have to pull the plug on all of them to get the work done. It's battery backup all day on Potmos. As we are setting up our cameras, Giannis disappears. A few minutes later, he pops his head into the alcove and announces that coffee is served. We go to the foyer and enjoy a cup of strong Greek coffee, which is non-filtered with all the grounds in the bottom of the cup. 
a huge map of Europe is on the foyer wall, and various cities are highlighted with the names of Greek books and dates. These are the places and dates for the first publication of Greek titles done on the printing press. We have good fellowship and conversation with Giannis while sipping the stiff brew. A few minutes later, we're back at the job. We are able to shoot about 500 pictures. At one o'clock, we exit the library, but our time at the monastery is not over yet. Every day, just before one, a priest rings the monastery bell, signaling that lunch is served in the dining room. Although there may be over 100 people visiting the monastery at any time, only a few are invited to the meal. This week has been especially busy with extra guests. Two paleographers from Italy and two more from Thessaloniki have eaten with the monks along with the four of us from CSNTM. The exact number of places are set. Only men are allowed in the dining room. Now this dining room has two ancient stone tables, one right after the other, each about 20 to 30 feet long. On the walls are medieval murals of Jesus with his disciples, as well as the texts of the church's ancient creeds. We all file in and stand behind our chairs, waiting in silence. Then the priests and monks come in, about uh, half a dozen altogether, and they stand silently behind their chairs. Finally, the abbot comes in, he rings a small table bell, and he offers a prayer over the meal. Then we all take our seats and begin eating while a priest stands reading from the ancient letters of St. Chrysostom, a 4th century church father. While he's doing this, about 15 minutes into the meal, the abbot pounds his cane on the floor twice, signaling that the reading may cease and that this priest may join the rest of us who are dining. On normal days, the abbot will chime the table bell several minutes later, signaling that this is the end of the meal. But things are different on Wednesdays and Fridays. These are fast days in the Orthodox world, a tradition that goes all the way back to the Didache, a late first century document that was a, really a, a catechism for converts to the faith. This means that meat and milk products are not allowed, as well as dessert or wine. Since wine is served with every meal, to not have it is a bit unusual at uh, the monastery. However, the wine carafes are still placed on the table. Those who are sensitive to Orthodox traditions will not drink the wine, even though they have the opportunity to do so. On Fridays, things are different, and this is a Friday. The abbot chimes his table bell a few minutes into the meal, which signals that the fast is over. When that happens, the priests and monks begin pouring the wine, which signals to the guests that they may do the same. A few minutes later, the abbot chimes the table bell once again. Then all the priests and the guests rise to their feet. The abbot prays a concluding prayer, and the monks and priests begin to slowly file out. The abbot and one other priest go to the door ahead of the, uh, the, the others and stand there while these uh, clergy are leaving the room with heads bowed as they walk past uh, the abbot. Finally, the guests also walk past the abbot with their heads bowed, or at least they should be. It does not matter how much one has eaten. When the abbot rings that final bell, the meal is over. However, on a previous visit to Potmos, the abbot told us very graciously that we could stay in there and continue eating after the rest had left. We declined his very gracious offer, explaining that we wanted to honor the monastery and not be singled out for any special privileges. Every single time we've been to Potmos, we have always left the dining room with the monks and the priests.
These somber traditions make for a very interesting mealtime, and, and not one for idle chit-chat, or any chit-chat for that matter. We are there to be nourished in body and soul with a healthful meal and the reading of the saints of old. After the meal, we return to the library, working another few hours. At the end of the day, we grab our gear and walk downhill a quarter of a mile to our little SUV. On Monday, we will repeat the procedure and enjoy the rich surroundings of this famous monastery atop Patmos as we continue to do our digital preservation of these ancient Christian scriptures.